Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Elohe, andwe, elkumwe, ute, ite, ulske, orfe, umde, umanwe. Hannah! Sorry. <laughs> I'm just trying to be secretive. Welcome to the School for Dumb Women, the podcast where we try to unravel some of life's greatest mysteries, but generally just get ourselves tangled up. I'm your host woman, pig Latin enthusiast Anna Hay Arulve. With me is trench coat wearer who likes to swap briefcases with strangers, Alexandra Haddo. I picked up someone else's Michael Korsberg once and all I got was some Tampax and a trashy novel. She now has state secrets. And once murdered a man with a big biro, Caroline O'Donoghue. I thought it was a pen disguised as a poison dart, but it turned out to be just a pen and I just carried on anyway. So after joking about it in episode 38, we decided to go ahead and make this week's podcast a spy special. So today we're discussing what MI5 actually does, who Alan Turing is, and what the Rosenbergs ever did for us. Let's commence Operation Done. Caroline, are those military secrets in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? It was a queer, sultry summer, the summer they executed the Rosenbergs, and I didn't know what I was doing in New York. (laughs) I'm sorry, I've been wanting to say that all day long, (laughs) because it is the first line of The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath, and it is, up until today, the only thing I knew about the Rosenbergs. 
I don't have a clue what or who the Rosenbergs are. No, I've read The Bell Jar and I just I just went right past that. I was like, <laughs> already a thing I don't understand. <laughs> Marvellous. Just look at the words and tell people you've read it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a sensitive woman. I've read Sylvia Plath and understood at least some of the references. Yes. <laughs> she seems awfully sad. I can't be bothered. Oh, she's a very sad lady. Well... <laughs> But this isn't about Sylvia Plath. This is about the Rosenbergs. The uh, the only thing I knew about the Rosenbergs at all in coming into this was apart from that line from the Bell Jar, uh, that they were this married couple who were executed in the, in the 1950s in America because they were uh, found guilty of treason and Ooh. espionage. Ooh. And that's all I knew. But like you think there'd be like a BBC drama or a HBO special every ten minutes about them. Like yeah. when you consider how many there are about like Henry the Eighth. Like we should have loads of Rosenbergy type things, right? Unless there's too much secrets around them. Like Ooh, too maybe? many secrets. To be honest, I spent the day researching them and I think that like it is one of those things that's like a lot of people fucked up. And America is still very like conscious of its own how it's portrayed in the world, so they're not like really comfortable about portraying it yet or something. Oh, really? Because it's such a fascinating story. Let me just take you, give you the bare bones of what the uh, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg story is. They were um, this Jewish couple from New York. He was born in 1912. She was born in 1915. Um, you know, kind of fairly ordinary couple. They got like involved in the Communist Party very young. He was an engineer. She wanted to be a dancer. Ended up being a secretary. Like fairly Taylor's typical. Taylor's time. Taylor's oldest time. <laughs> and you know, I, th- I think we all know that in the 1940s and 1950s, um, there was the Red Scare in America. And yeah. even now, they're, they're, up until the 80s really, you still saw a lot of media around communism and how terrifying they were as a nation about oh, Russians I mean, and communists and the whole Vietnam War was just to stop the spread of communism they were shitting themselves they were absolutely mm. shitting it about communism which is weird when you think that like for a long time it was a bit like being a vegan do you know what I mean like not everybody did it but you kind of tolerated people who were yeah I, I feel like in America it's worse than that it's like how worse we than would, being a vegan yeah <laughs> no, but I feel like it's like people saying you know they're a racist yeah, no, it's like a real, like, secretive thing, even though it's just a political ideology that isn't that extreme. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, obviously, there's extremists, but. Even here, though, I feel like it's always, like, a personality quirk about someone rather yeah. than, like, yeah, rather than being, like, this huge thing about them. And now I feel like people talk about Marxism and communism in a very friendly way because the people are being more socialist in their politics. But anyway, the, um, the Rosenbergs, you know, Two communists, fancy each other, get married, have kids. Lovely. Um, Julius is an engineer. When World War II breaks out, he ends up going to work for this uh, sort of military base in Fort Lauderdale. That's kind of, you know, engineering, weaponry and that kind of stuff. Um, While he's working there, he starts um, sort of working with communist organisations and passing them on information about what they're working on. And um, also sort of recruits different people in his circle to do this as well. So his brother-in-law, David Greengrass, he's somebody who he got involved in and it becomes a big figure in the trial later on. And uh, yeah, he sa- he sells all these secrets. He gets fired in 1945 for his affiliations with the Communist Party. And then later on, in 1950, his brother-in-law, David Greengrass, he gets caught for treason and for espionage. He gets put on trial. He ends up blabbing about Julius Nethel <gasps> Rosenberg. Oh, wow. And then Julie, what's Ethel got to do with it at this stage? Well, that's the thing, mate. That's oh, the thing. Oh no. Well, first of all, Julius gets put under arrest, um, and all of his sort of 
track record with the Communist Party is exposed. Um, there's a lot of like news coverage over this. The whole kind of country is sort of hooked on this married couple. Then Ethel gets brought in because essentially Julius keeps pledging the fifth. He won't say a word. He won't give any names away. So they basically bring in his wife and try <gasps> to try her as well to put the fear into him. Yeah. And uh, she really didn't have anything to do with it, but they managed to get out of someone that she typed up his notes or something. Yeah. And therefore implicating her. And then before you know it, they were executing this couple. Wow. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it just, it started off as like, oh, this couple who have not, you are communists and they've sold secrets and da da da. And then it suddenly just heightens over this. I think that's why that Sylvia Plath book begins with that. Like it it was a queer, sultry summer, the summer they executed the Rosenbergs. It was almost like this manic fever that just erupted. That kind of everyone's fears about communism and, and the Cold War were just kind of bubbled up into this one couple yeah, who they ended up executing. So I told you that story and what's your main reaction to it? Sounds like a lot to execute. I mean, I know they wanted to make an example out of communism. That's exactly so, what I was thinking. Yeah. So, so maybe that's kind of why. But I mean, first off, death penalty. Don't agree with it. No. So automatically I'm like, that's an overreaction. But it does kind of seem like an overreaction, right? Yeah, especially... When you consider the following, because I was just like, oh, clearly you should never kill people for any reason, I don't think, really, because there's just enough reasonable doubt to prove that, like, it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, the more I looked into it and the more I read about different people who have different opinions on this, the more the story kind of comes apart. Right. So, first of all, the chief prosecutor on the case was this guy called Roy Cohn, who went on to be like the main guy in McCarthyism. Ooh. And you know, McCarthyism was yeah. when they basically had a Salem witch trial for yeah. everybody, even vaguely associated with the Communist Party or, you know, Europeans. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, destroyed thousands of people's lives. So, he was basically like sharpening his claws in this case. Getting ready. Yeah. Getting ready, yeah. And uh, then it, it turns out as well, Julius, he did provide information about military technology to the Soviet Union, but the years he was doing it, the Soviet Union was allies. Oh. And America was donating tons of military help to the Soviet Union in order to help fight the Nazis. They were like briefly aligned against the Nazis. It was only after the war um, that really the whole, as in the whole Cold War thing began really, when the sort of battle for nuclear arms became very much a Russia versus America thing. So he was, yes, he was selling secrets, but to people that were their allies at the time, essentially. And also, the whole thing was over like, oh, you shared um, information about nuclear warfare with the Russians. You endangered like millions of people. How could you betray your country? But like, he had no real information on nuclear warfare. Like his brother-in-law had some vague sketches about the atomic bomb, but like nothing really. Yeah. So they kind of... Because they're not very... It doesn't sound like he was very high up. Yeah. No, they weren't. Like, they. I think they were just sort of doing their bit for a cause they thought was really important. And I think, especially in that climate, it was like... You, what were you more afraid of, Nazis or communists? And some people were more afraid of Nazis and some people were more afraid of communists. You know what wow. I mean? And then just in the few years that passed between him trading these secrets and the political climate totally changing, it suddenly became that any association with Russia at any point in your life became this... It was like damning for you. This totally treasonous thing, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there was all this, um, like the Pope appealed to Eisenhower and like 
Picasso and Frida Kahlo and John Paul Sartre were like writing all these op-eds in Europe being like how can we do this this is the shame of our nation and everything and um, Sartre said this really famous thing about like you've built the atomic bomb and now you're dying in the shadow of it like they were so paranoid that they now had this warfare they didn't know they were so paranoid that somebody was going to use it against them that they just lashed out at the first thing they could find which yeah. was this, this Jewish couple and it was during this time of like like the Holocaust had happened but people mm. were still like not okay with Jews they were not okay with like European Jews coming in either in the US and they were just like it was just rife with anti-Semitism the whole thing yeah so Ooh. yeah I got really into this today lads it was um it was a big thing and also Roy Cohn that guy I mentioned earlier on yeah. in 1986 he basically had like a deathbed admission that he had manufactured evidence <gasps> in in the Rosenberg trial yeah Oh god! It Mouse? just sounds like one of those things that, um, not necessarily like society, but like somebody like him or the courts or the legal system, they've kind of overreacted a bit, like on stage one, and then they've just sort of ran like, with this. I've got to go through. I've got to go through with it now. Yeah, yeah. Sunken yeah. costs. And they yeah. even said they were like there was like like ten days before the trial even started, they knew they had like no case against Ethel Rosenberg, and they just like had to gather one out of nowhere because they wanted it to be like a couple thing. What, so that it would be a bit more like media friendly and high profile, like emotive, yeah. I guess. Yeah, wow. I guess. Oh god, my god, Ethel. it's awful. Yeah, sorry, lads. I'm getting off to a real cheery start <laughs> here. The thing is, he knew he was doing something wrong. I mean, I'm using that in sort of inverted commas because if they weren't secrets, then he wouldn't have had to sell them. Yeah, but it's not a death penalty, is it? No, and the thing is, the brother-in-law, the guy who like traded sketches the atomic bomb, got ten years. What? Yeah. It's so weird. It's like they had something against them specifically. Yeah. I don't know. I'm thinking there's a lot with the with kind of Cambridge Analytica and all that. It's like, yes, they're doing really evil shit, but also it's the first time that we've had a face to put to a lot of growing anxieties. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, may- and maybe that's what they were, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. And now I'm going to read the bell jar. <laughs> There's a song to sing when the harvest comes in to the one who brings sun and the rain. Alex, why are you singing again? We did talk about this. It's okay, Hannah. For once, Alex isn't showboating. She's actually getting ready for a Women Who Code Mixer on data harvesting. I hope you've brought your baskets and dungarees, guys. We've got some Facebook accounts to download. Yay! Each week on the Women Who Code Mixer, we explore a subject about technology or the internet or generally just being online. So data harvesting. We've been hearing a lot about it in the news. What do you guys know about it? Oh, everyone's buying all my Facebook data, (laughs) apparently. I didn't know it was that valuable. I did a personality quiz and then I influenced the US general election. Yes, Yes. you did. (laughs) You did a quiz to see which Harry Potter Patronus you'd have and then Trump was elected. Correct. And you yourself are responsible. Yeah. Um, Yeah, this is something that's uh, really gripping the nation at the moment. Maybe it won't be in a week's time. But uh, the whole idea around data harvesting is something that feels like they're two ver- words that are quite innocuous apart, but together they seem very sinister. Yeah, I feel like the word <laughs> harvesting feels like something from a dystopian future where like my soul is harvested. Yeah, because yeah. I just think organ. Yes, yeah. organ. Oh. that was my first thought. Yeah. Ew. I think the important thing to know about data harvesting is that people are like, oh, I don't I don't see why anyone would care about my trip to Vienna <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know why I chose Vienna. Who the fuck goes to Vienna? <laughs> I've been. Nobody cared. <laughs> 
But the thing is, is that like your data, singular, um, doesn't really make much of a difference to anyone. But when you group your data together with like 100,000 people who are just like you, by using all that data together, you create a sort of a profile. Right. So you're like, oh, okay. So if we know that women of this age who, you know, spend this amount of money will shop in ASOS. And if they live in cities, they're more likely to use Amazon Prime. And basically, they learn about you all this customer data. And to a certain extent, that doesn't really bother people, I don't think. I think the idea of like, oh, massively, uh, yeah, no. like, oh, OK, they saw that I shopped here or they saw that I did this. And now they're advertising me stuff. Yeah. That feels normal and Because to a certain yeah. extent, then you'll get more useful adverts if they're targeted to you. Yeah, that's how I've always approached it as well. It's like, yeah, I'm more likely to get a hit then, right? Yeah. And it's better for everyone. I, I see ads I like they get a sale like yeah commerce continues to prosper no point advertising me like tools yeah I, I won't buy them precisely but then I think the way Facebook gets data who they're getting it from and who they're giving it to it becomes very uh, murky so mm. for example different places um, create these like personality quizzes I think we've all seen them before yeah um, sometimes they're like super viral sometimes they're very dry but almost all of them are like oh um, if you take this quiz you must allow us to look at all of these things about you and it's not even just quizzes sometimes it's just like oh do you want to log into Facebook using at hacker thing you know what I mean when you're like you're, you're too lazy to create a new account so you just sign in with Facebook and then that's the way of them getting your data oh as like well. yeah. a separate website exactly yeah. like Goodreads or something you often log okay. in with Facebook or whatever um, but also it gets a little bit more weirder than that um, because Facebook buys data off other people so I think we've all done these things before where you um, do like free credit checks Yes. Online. A lot of these um, credit check people, they're just, they're giving you a free credit check and maybe it's accurate and maybe it isn't, but it's just to get lots of this detail about your income or whatever to you, which is incredibly valuable to Facebook. So essentially Facebook will say like, okay, we've got a file on Alexandra Haddo. We know she's been to Spain three times in the last year. We know she shops at these places. Let's increase our file by also buying this from this credit score company and also buying this from Amazon not Amazon but somewhere else yeah. and then they just like build this huge file on you that essentially becomes the most detailed Ooh. detailed piece of information that is ready to go to the highest bidder uh, which in this case was Cambridge Analytica Ooh. and then they use that information to know what your fears are what your hopes are what you respond to what are your triggers what like what if you see something will make you go, oh no, I have to vote the other way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it's essentially a highly sophisticated propaganda machine, but it all starts with just this kind of freely like, oh, I'll just use this thing for free and then I'll give them my date of birth and my whatever as a way of paying for it. Yeah. And it's this kind of thing where like you, for years and years and years, we've been leaving all these little footprints on the internet thinking that they weren't worth anything and now they suddenly are. Yeah. So it's very interesting. And then, ha- so that, they reckon that that influenced Brexit and the US election because they had 50 million accounts, which then they could send them something, like you say, that would make people react the other way. Or Exactly. And because everybody was sort of travelling in the same circle as each other, we were so unaware of what everyone else was seeing. And I think yeah. that's what really came up after 2016. Barack Obama made a really interesting point on David Letterman's show. He was talking about this, you know, how obviously I think whatever I see is just random. On the internet. Yeah, or just the news. Yes, you know? the, yeah, the news. That's exactly, yeah, you're totally right. And Barack Obama said that uh, they tested it and that uh, there was three people. One was very right-wing, one was kind of centre, and one was very left-wing. And they Googled something like Syria 
Mm-hmm. They all three of them, and all three of them got completely different. Yes, wow. I results. saw that. And the thing is, it's like that's the end result of the, of actually months and months and years and years of yeah. like of people building this very specific file on you and what you want to see. Yeah, and it's just very creepy. Very creepy. I don't like it. This espionage special is unnerving and strange. Yeah, yes. as all espionages. <laughs> Alex, you look like a genius who's recently been played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Have you? Only in a sexual sense. <laughs> You've played me like a piano. Oh, God. No, uh, my subject today was played by Benedict Cumberbatch in the film... I forgot what it's called. <laughs> Very smart the man. Imitation game. Imitation game. <laughs> um, my subject today was played by Benedict Cumberbatch in the popular film The Imitation Game. Ah. The popular... Well, I haven't seen it, but... Did it right, didn't it? I mean, Kira Knightley was in it, so anybody could have been in it. I think so. a lot of people did see it. I saw it. I saw it. I enjoyed it. It was fine. It's a real films for special, isn't it? It's like, oh, it's 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 quarter to midnight, and I'm not, I'm still awake. I guess I'll watch this. Yeah, it's yeah. very much like, oh, yeah. I feel like I should slightly impress this person I'm going on a date with. So we're going to go and see a clever film. Yeah, but not too heavy clever. Just yeah. like you know, war fun clever. Yeah. <laughs> I um I was originally studying Baroness Trumpington for today's segment, who also worked at Bletchley Park. But then she said, then it said. She didn't allow homosexuals at her parties. So I was like, do you know what? I'm not going to dignify her nah. with a section. I'm going to go to good, good choice. Yeah. Alan Turing. She who does not get our time. Genuinely seems like he was a great guy. Yeah. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, very quick uh, summary. Alan Turing deciphered the Enigma Code in the Ooh. Second World War, uh, which was a code used by the Germans to get messages across to other German spies, etc. Bletchley Park was sort of the uh, country manor house where they did the uh, decoding. It was the the, the decoding hub. Ah, HQ. Um, HQ for GCHQ, yeah. Ah. Um, so it was very, very top secret. And uh, basically... The, and, and every 10 minutes, someone does an article about, did you know there was women in Bletchley yes. Park? <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah, there was a yes, lot Yes, of... actually, I fucking did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Baroness Trumpington was one of them. But uh, yeah, so there was there was uh, lots of men and women uh, dis- decoding, deciphering code there. It, was, it sounds very exciting. Mm. I know that I shouldn't say that about war, but, you know, uh, just, just this little bubble. Um, and Alan Turing uh, did what was thought to be impossible at the start, and he deciphered it. And the guy, you know, it doesn't need saying, was an absolute genius. When he was at school, when he was 16 years old, he even deduced Einstein's questioning of Luton, Newton's laws of motion. Um, I don't even know what that sentence means, let alone yeah. what... Like. It basically just means that he was able to kind of query Einstein and Newton. Right, okay. <laughs> As a teenager. 16, yeah. And he went to uh, quite a posh school and they, they didn't approve of his genius in science and maths. They were like, oh no, he must learn the classics and Latin and this isn't the right way for a young man to be and all this sort of stuff. And they were like, fine, you can carry on but as long as you like really put the effort into Latin. Latin isn't going to save us all, okay? It won't, yeah. St. Michael's. Maybe if it's a really weird legal term, right? Yes, Habeas exactly. corpus. Yes. Mm, that's a term. Um, how long do you think that they think the Second World War would have gone on for longer than it already did oh, if, Turing, loads, if Turing hadn't deciphered Ooh, this code? Like 11 years? I think it's like, mm, I think it's maybe like three years. Yeah, it's just over two years. Oh. Yeah. Two years. So they reckon he saved 14 million lives. That's so Jesus. many. And then they castrated him. Then they castrated him. Fucking hell. Yeah. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, it was incredible. So the Enigma machine was uh, this machine where every time you typed a letter, it would be a different letter that would appear. But the brilliance of it was that the code didn't stay the same. It changed every day. Mm, That's exhausting. Yeah, but there was still obviously a system. So Turing, as a sort of deciphering machine, created what's kind of thought of, you know, the modern day computer to crack this code. I mean, it's incredible. When I was reading this today, I kept being like, this guy should have a film made about... Oh, yeah, he has. He has, <laughs> he has fine. Um, yeah, and then it's it's quite a tragic end to uh, Turing. He was he was a gay man. Um, he had a relationship that was quite uh, important to him quite early on in his life with a man called Christopher Morecambe, uh, and he described him as his first love, but then Morecambe died from tuberculosis. Aww. And he was very sad, but apparently he threw himself into his studies even more after that. He worked at Bletchley Park... Uh, and he carried on making insane advances in mathematics and technology and computing after the war as well. And then he had a relationship with a 19-year-old man mm-hmm. uh, when he was a bit older. And the reason they got found out was because Alan Turing got burgled and the 19-year-old knew the perpetrator. Mm. Uh. And so when the police started questioning them, they were like... I mean, I'm sort of using artistic license here, but I think the police were like, why were you around? And they kind oh. of eventually had to confess that they were in a sexual relationship. And uh, the 19-year-old got pardoned and Alan Turing took voluntary castration. That is the most tragic story. Yeah. And what, what is... um? I really actually quite liked the imitation game, but it, I, it got some very um justified criticism because there was he almost had no romantic life in that film at all, really. Like well, he, I mean, he had this guy he was in love with when he was young, and yeah, know, and there's, there's, he never showed him so much as like in the same frame as a man he was attracted to. Yeah, do you know and what I mean? weren't they really? trying to sort of put a love story in there between him and Keira Knightley? Or yeah, am I getting that mixed up no, it was sort of very implied that like they were in like a in a sort of an understanding that was like without physicality, but he loved her very much. It's like, oh, fuck off! Well, He's just trying yeah. to market the story to like the the grey the grey pound essentially, like who want to watch a World War II movie but don't want to deal with the gay man's sexuality. And yeah. it, that, it kind of pissed me off for that reason. Depending on who she played in it, he was actually engaged to a woman for a short time and he told her about his homosexuality and she didn't mind. Yeah, I think that's the Keira Knightley character. Possibly. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. And then he was like, no, I can't go through with it because it's not who I am. Uh, so he called it off. Um, but she, yeah, apparently she... I don't know if she loved him, but I think she she must have loved him in a... In some way. Yeah, in a know. platonic way at least. Yeah, because um, he was a bloody genius. He was also um, a massive eccentric, apparently, which, I mean, genii often are. Mm. As they have a um, right to be. Yeah, They're almost not geniuses unless they're weirdos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> apparently he would get a really bad attack of hay fever in the first week of June every year. Um, and he would cycle to the office wearing a service gas mask to keep the pollen off. Oh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> I'm going to do that this year. I know, right? And uh, the bike also had a fault, his bicycle. The chain would come off at regular intervals, and instead of having it mended, he would count the number of times the pedals went round and would get off the bicycle in time to adjust the chain oh. by hand. Um, he was also an amazing long-distance runner, and he would sometimes run into London from Bletchley Park for like meetings where is Bletchley Park stuff. Buckinghamshire it was 40 miles my god and he would sometimes run it that's Jesus. crazy and uh, Alan Turing's work like a lot of the stuff that he figured out 
wasn't declassified until 2012 because the government was like, I, we still don't want people to know how we did it. Wow. In case we have to do it again. In case we have to do it again, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now I guess maybe technology's like moved on a little bit further. But the guy was a fucking genius. He also died by cyanide poisoning, oh. um, which they think... Self-inflicted. So basically, it, everyone thinks he committed suicide. But as with most things, there's conspiracy that it was accidental because... His his castration was gradual. He got injected with an estrogen type hormone, which made him kind of less yeah. um, horny, I guess. <laughs> and then he he died a few years later, you know, from from cyanide poisoning. Um, and they found cyanide in a half eaten apple by the side of his bed, uh, which they think he had like put the cyanide into and then eaten mm. the apple so that it wasn't. Uh, wholly horrendous experience mm. um, but actually he always half ate an apple before bed quite often um, and apparently he was in like great spirits before I mean I know I know you can say that and it doesn't necessarily have any bearing mm-hmm. but he was also uh, gold plating something at the time mm. and apparently cyanide is uh, was not anymore uh, part of that process and they think that it dissolving into the air over oh, a few wow. days, so it could have been built up in his system, yeah, and could have killed him. So they think I was about to say, oh, you wouldn't cold plate something if you're going to kill yourself. Yeah, <laughs> like that makes any sense. <laughs> well, you never. You want to stick around if you're cold plating something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you want to see how it turns out. <laughs> yeah, that so, cold plating. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's quite weird because he says uh, so. Uh, Professor Jack Copeland has questioned various aspects of the coroner's historical verdict. He suggests an alternative explanation, thus being accidental inhalation of cyanide fumes from an apparatus for electroplating gold onto spoons which wow. uses potassium cyanide to dissolve the gold. And he had it set up in his tiny spare room. So, yeah, basically the, his autopsy suggests that he inhaled it rather than, like, it was in his bloodstream, I guess. But then if it was an autopsy done at the time, I guess it's more embarrassing for the government to admit that they chemically castrated this basically war hero. Yeah. And, it, you know, he decided to take his own life. Like, that's pretty embarrassing for them. Yeah, but that's so, the official story. This is a conspiracy theory. They told everyone that he killed himself. Oh, fine. Mm. Yeah. Uh, really, but, he just was gold-plating things badly. Yes. Um, <laughs> Good at codes, bad at gold. And also, don't you think, like, dying by gold-plating a spoon is just the most fabulously gay way to go? <laughs> Fucking good on you, Alan. He was like getting all his camp out and just gold plating everything. Yeah, he was in his like, house. do you know what? Fuck off! Like, do you know, yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be gay. I'm just gonna be lovely and gay and do what I want. I've saved 14 million lives, and you cunts have castrated me. Good on you, Alan. That's what I say. Gold plate all your spoons, Alan. Yeah. Anyway, since then he's been pardoned and you know posthumously um, commended. I remember that happening. Like, oh, who gives a shit? Fuck off, you bunch of I mean yeah. no one no one that's yeah. alive now but but similarly it's like with the Rosenbergs there are lots of organisations that are trying to call for particularly Ethel's like pardoning or whatever it's like well mate the, the horse is already bolted yeah. you know what I mean like, sort of like who's that for who's it for yeah, yeah. so rest in peace Alan how little we and knew Ethel. you and Ethel <laughs> Jesus, Hannah, there's a small white circle following you around the room and it's suddenly gone red. I'm very frightened. What's happened? Ba-na-bow. 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 
<laughs> I should point out that the red uh, dot was my laser pen. Oh, oh God. Always targeting me, Alex. Tenerife, 2008. <laughs> Drive your cats insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this week I am talking about MI5, which James Bond, of course, belongs to. Yeah, and has belonged to for over a hundred years yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's doing, he's doing well. He's actually MI6. Is he actually? Is he? Yeah, because he's foreign affairs. Oh no, but in the films, isn't he MI5? Yeah, but it's technically wrong, I think. Uh, and I often kind of think like, oh, MI6 isn't a thing. I made that up, but no, it is a real thing. I actually, it's real. Mm, yeah, yeah. MI6 is. Abroad and MI5 is internal. Exactly. See, I thought that MI6 was just the makey up one that Ian Fleming yeah, exactly. did. Oh, really? <laughs> exactly. I actually preferred MI's 1 to 4. They were much more, <laughs> much exactly. more original. What are the MI's 1 to 4? Well, uh, yeah, because I was thinking, is it like the iPhones where it's like the 5 and the 6 and the 6 is better than the 5? But um, no, basically, during the start of the 20th century, they invented all these MI's, especially during World War II. And they had they had like twenty of them at one point, and MI one was code breaking. MI two was Russia and Scandinavia. Ooh, oh, yeah. Three the was Scandinavia Eastern section Europe. must have been the quietest office. In I the know. <laughs> They're still recycling, guys. We don't know why. <laughs> Eight was military communication interception. Ooh. Nine was undercover operations. They they all had their separate thing. Basically, can I ask a dumb question? Go on. What does MI side stand for? Military intelligence. Not Mission uh, Impossible. No. <laughs> I was going to say mysterious. Institute. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so there were loads of them, and after World War II, they just sort of thought, we've got too many of these. We don't need some of these anymore because there's not a war on anymore. Too many franchises. Yeah. Too many. Spoils let's the just, brand. Yeah, let's just keep it domestic and foreign. And a lot of those sort of got folded into the new MI5 and MI6. So, you know, we still might have a Russia sector. But we, probably we do, do have a Russia. Well, <laughs> that one's probably exist. secret. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so there's only five and six now. Um, and MI6 um, has their building at Vauxhall Cross. Have you ever seen it? Yes. No. It's like a, a huge temple covered in glass. Yeah. Um, and it kind of looks a bit aztec which apparently oh. was part of the design. And it's really cool. I used to see people, because I, when I first moved to London many, many moons ago, um, I used to live in Oval, and I used to walk to work past that building every day, and all the people walking in would be like, are you a spy? Are you a spy? Yes. But they're probably like, a dinner lady, um, the man that like, yeah. does the payroll. Yeah. I always think that whenever I um, get off a train at Vauxhall, and I'm like, mm, who's going to work today? Yeah. My friend's brother-in-law got uh, asked to interview for MI5. Wow, Ooh. and he told everyone. Um, well, because <laughs> they're breaking the Rules. Because he didn't get in. Oh, I see. Um, so after that, he was allowed. Apparently, he did quite well in quite a few of the technical tests. And then they were like, "Tell us about a time where you felt emotionally strained." And he was like, "Well, when I was five, I had this birthday party. Oh. Someone didn't bring." And then they were like, "Okay, you're not cut off. Okay, what's the correct answer? Just never. I don't know because he because at that point, I think he was you know just ejected out onto the street. A bit wow. like so. I am not wholly unconvinced that one of my good mates isn't an MI5. Oh, really? Um, and he actually listens to the podcast and we sort of like bring it up a lot. It's like the big joke, but also I'm I'm honestly not convinced, Mike, that you're not an MI5. Wow. Well, he might because the thing is when you work for MI5, and I've looked this up, you're not allowed to tell anyone apart from your immediate family. So like your yeah. parents and your So here's the thing. We know he that... works for the MOD. We know he sometimes goes to Kenya. <gasps> and literally... He's totally MI5. Every time that we have you just outed about him? him? I think I have. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> He's MI5. Mike, you might lose your job now. 
Yeah, it's little Caroline's fault. She can find you another one. <laughs> yeah. Have you tried online content? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always think because basically, like my friend that I just told you about, what if that was all a ruse? Because now he still works for the government, but in a very supposedly very different capacity. But if you did get the job as a spy, I bet they're yeah. like, oh yeah, just okay. So this is your cover job. So you work in administration See, and. Here's the thing. Anyone I've ever known that's worked for the British government always like every time you ask them about the job, they're always like, oh, it's really boring. I just they're yeah, always yeah. like so apologetic about yeah. how boring it is. Like, no, it's not. That's not boring at all. <laughs> Some of them must be spies. Did you think when you were younger, somewhere in the back of your head, you could be a spy when you were older? No. Really? I think I can understand how you would have thought that about yourself. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Me and Caroline tell everybody everything after half a pint. <laughs> this yeah. is true. I'm very reserved. You're you like are. a locked vault and I'm like, oh my God, I had sex with this weirdo yesterday. And I don't know why I'm American when I do that. But. And I'll occasionally pipe up and be like, I've had a feeling. Yeah. yeah no, like literally, like you guys should see us down in the pub when Hannah has a feeling, we all just go silent and like yeah. wait for her to come out of her like a tapeworm. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of used to think when I was younger, like, oh, yeah, no, probably just someone will just find me. Someone will talent scout me and I'll just be a spy yeah. when I'm older. That uh, didn't happen, guys. I'm sorry to uh, sorry to tell you. Do you think that's a gendered thing? Well, maybe. Maybe they don't have maybe. that many women. Fight. Although, actually, fact, okay. uh, the head of MI6 did recently say that they want to recruit more women to MI6 Ooh. because the job is working with people and, like, tracking people and, you know, making and friends uh, with people and stuff. Oh, my God. And you'd be so good at, like, putting wires on people and then getting really good audio. Yeah. <laughs> really professional sounding exactly. audio on a very low budget, like this podcast. Yeah. But and also, women's boobs are nice and they'll distract people. Yeah. <laughs> but you need emotional intelligence and you also I was looking at the jobs board today for MI5, MI6 um, if you are someone who's sort of you know role is to go around like following people and stuff you need to be able to blend in so you, mm. so if you're a man you can't be above a certain height I think it's like 6 foot 3 or something and if you're a woman you can't oh. be above like 5 foot 8 which seems quite that seems like sort of average-ish yeah. it's not super tall um, oh, so you're actually going to spies are probably not how you imagine them like a tall suave sexy yeah, yeah. man no, exactly Cause they, they probably look like dinner ladies most of them yeah yeah <gasps> yeah. they need to be normal looking people so that yeah. you're not like well that's a bizarre looking person and then you see them afterwards like in Pret and then you see them in the traffic jam like behind yeah. you and you're like fuck that is the same person from earlier whereas I think if someone saw me three times a day they'd be like I have seen a human woman. Yeah. Yeah. Do you reckon it just works the other way around, though? Like, in GCHQ, all the dinner lady staff are just, like, gorgeous models. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, I wanted a job here, but... Uh. Yeah. It's so mad that, like, Pierce Brosnan was there with James Bond, because he's the most distinctive-looking person ever. Like, yes. he looks like the drawing of a 1950s man. Yeah, he does. Doesn't so he? handsome. Because, like, Daniel Craig is handsome, but I don't think he's memorably handsome. I think No, I think he'd forget about seeing no, Daniel Craig. No, I think Craig he's okay. If he was clothed, like... Not his body, but, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. If he was just in a suit on the tube, he'd be like, oh, I saw a fairly attractive man and I completely forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who needed to get a bigger suit? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, if you're, if you're a spy, right, how do they... I've got two questions. A, how do they recruit you? And B... Is your job title like Alex Haddo spy? <laughs> okay, so number one, how do they recruit you? I think 
you just apply. Like they have a really good careers section actually on on the mm. MI5 website, and it's like it's even got like examples from people who work there, and it's like, hi, my name's Jamie, and I've been working for MI5 for five years, and it's sort of voiced by wow. actors and stuff. They're but it's still all like fake. I did a degree in Arabic, and then I went to live in Africa for two years, and then mm. I thought I'll apply to MI5, and now I'm a spy. Um, and your second question. Is your job title actually like spy? Uh, no, it's kind of like reporting officer, right? And like intelligence officer. There's a lot of officers in there, so it's not it's not like 007. Or I'm, I mean, maybe internally it is. I'm just yeah. trying to think of like a really good sketch you could do of like a, the job interview to be a spy and be like, okay, so Caroline, thanks for coming. Um, your CV looks great. Um, can you tell us about a time that you've secretly poisoned a Russian agent without them knowing? <laughs> Can you tell us about Using a time only you've... your sexuality? Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us about a time you've used a poison dart successfully? Yeah. <laughs> I actually did uh, come across as well a sort of you know test application thing for the Australian Secret Service. Ooh. Um, Do which... they even need one? Well, Is it just like <laughs> if your name's Steve, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of those kind of online things where it's a video and there's a woman in the video and she's kind of taking you around and asking you questions like, when you came in, there was a clock on the wall. What time did it say it was? It's a terrible accent. I'm very sorry. No, I thought it was quite good, actually. Um, and you're meant to be like, oh, well, it said it was a quarter two. And I noticed that because I noticed things because I could be a spy. Yeah. Um, Me and Caroline would just be like, I love that wallpaper. What's yeah. there? I know I felt gassy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I went through this whole thing and it took like 10 minutes. It was really interesting, actually. Um, and did it and say whether you'd be a good spy or not? No, well, it said at the end, I, I don't think you're cut out for this. And oh. I was like, excuse me. That's exactly what they would say, Hannah. But then two weeks from now, you'll just be taken in the middle of the night by some Aussies in some flip-flops oh, and hoodies. Oh, God, I hope so. Um, oh. Guys, I'm sorry if we have to stop doing a podcast because I'm now an Australian spy. I do uh, I support you. But, you know. I support your career pivot. Thank you. <laughs> Who do the Aussies spy on? Oh, they're so they're in Asia, aren't they? Basically, that's what we always forget about Australia. Uh, it's okay, like next yeah. to Asia, so yeah, they're like fair. they're always going up there to see what's going on. Yeah, mm. fair enough. They've got gaffs, something to do, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Mm, what's happening so. in the Philippines? Yeah. Let's find out. Apparently, um, the British government didn't acknowledge that MI6 actually existed until 1994. <gasps> Jesus, yeah, that's exciting. Which is a bit weird because you'd think that everyone'd be like, "Well, of course you have a foreign intelligence service." Yeah, and MI6 is actually called the Secret Intelligence Service. Ooh, what is a spook? Exactly. Oh, I have no idea. It's, it's just a great a, TV show. Yeah. It's just a slang for spy. Is that it? Yeah. What's no spooky about them, though? I guess because they sort of vanish. And it's because they, they're not... Re- they're transient. They're, they're called spooks, yeah, because there's no trace of them. Like, once you join MI5, they the, the first ever episode of Spooks was brilliant because it, I think it shows somebody getting recruited and they, like, just erase everything. I mean, no chance of getting your Facebook having that data. That would actually oh, be gone. Geez. Oh, wow. And yeah. then you can tell one person. Wow. And some people choose not to tell them because then it's sort of like you're burdening them with the fact. Yeah, yeah and they'll just worry about you yeah. whenever you go on holiday mm, yeah. to uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, Afghanistan. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, no, mum, I just really like the sun. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, a couple of other fact factoids for you. Um, the real Q, as in, you know, James Bond, the one that does all the gadgets and stuff, yeah, is yeah. a woman. No, sorry. Yeah. Oh, there is a woman. I yeah. mean, there is a Q. There is a queue, yeah, the head of gadgets at MI6, and they have mad gadgets. Obviously, we don't know anything about them. but Yeah, or oh, we don't know anything about her either. Uh, I mean, I didn't really look into her, but <laughs> I like that she's a woman. Yeah, I doubt I doubt that she's like named and stuff. 
Yeah, and yeah. they do call people like C and K and stuff, which I think is quite cool. And Ooh. I might start doing that with you guys. Ooh. My final fact, which I'd like to end on, guys. Um, they did a premiere of the James Bond film The World Is Not Enough at Vauxhall Cross for MI6 staff. Um, and apparently there's a bit in the film where Vauxhall Cross gets blown up um, and everyone who was watching it cheered. So, <gasps> wow. so, so even if you that's, work at MI6, you might still hate your job. That says a lot about morale, yeah. though, doesn't it? Yeah. It also gets blown up in Skyfall. Ooh. Yeah, they blow it up a lot, don't they? Yeah. I've got a fact about um, about MI5 that I'd like to share. Go on. Um, so uh, we learned about Alan Turing in our last segment. Yeah. Um, so it, obviously it was it was illegal to be homosexual for a really long time. And uh, MI5 apparently recruited from people who had been in prison for homosexuality <gasps> um, because they were really good at leading double lives. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. And they were also accustomed um, to like secret languages and code words and like safe spaces and like sort of the world of a spy really. Wow, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. I know a top tip. Do you want a spy tip? Yeah, go on. So if you think somebody's following you and watching you, if you're in a, a restaurant, say, and they're in the restaurant and you're like, hmm, mm. I feel like they have been following me, do a fake yawn. Because if yeah. they're watching you, they'll yawn. Oh, so that's wow. Good one. That is a good one. And that leads us in nicely to our smart lesson for this week. Ooh, is it on your next transition? <laughs> it's on how to yawn appropriately. <laughs> yes, as we said, uh, now that we've learned all about their wily ways, it is time for our spy themed smart lesson. Each week in the Smart Lesson, we learn about how to operate in the world as bona, f- bona fide or bona fide. I saw the guy in the news say bona fide, but I always say bona fide. Bona- I only say bona fide as well. Bona fide smart women. The kinds of women who have businesses and heel shoes and carry hand sanitizer. This week, our Smart Lesson is all about how to keep yourself safe from spies. So tip number one, Alex, you've already done, Correct. is yawn in a restaurant. Yes. Mm. Great tip. And they did yawn back, and that's how I met my latest fling. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's got their ways. Sleepy, sleepy people. Just a sleepy, sexy time. <laughs> um, I thought a good tip might be to change your makeup, because if it's a male spy, they won't notice, especially if you turn up one day with no makeup on, mm. and will be like, oh, you, you look sick. You look like you're ill yes. today. Yeah. Or they might think you're a different person. Correct. Oh, very good, yeah. Especially with hair as well. Yes. Yeah, as a woman, very easy to sort of like totally evade uh, being seen again. Yeah. Yeah. Because people sort of profile you as a woman, don't they? They're like, oh, she's, you know, the type who wears a big jumper and and denim shorts and tights underneath them. And if you just become a different sort of clothes woman the next day... They all never clue. Do you know what I would do? I would do those big, thick Instagram, like sharpie eyebrows. Eyebrows, yeah. yeah. Because I think everyone with those eyebrows, and this is hugely stereotyping, and I'm very sorry if this person is you, mm. but I find it very hard to distinguish these people apart. The people who have the kind of Instagram the big eyebrow makeup. people. Yeah. yeah, it's true. They are a breed. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Put a sticker over your front-facing camera on your laptop. This is probably just quite a genuine, yeah. genuine thing to do. do you think that's real. I do don't know. Think it, yeah. I mean, I think after everything we. We've learned this year so far. I think that nothing is uh, sort of beyond technology. Yeah. Yeah. Also, another genuine tip that a lot of people are doing these days is um, turning off your microphone on your phone so it's Ooh. not associated with Facebook or any Facebook affiliated apps. Yeah. 
Oh, right? Like, do you guys think that Facebook's listening to you? Most people do. Yeah, yes, probably. Definitely. Yeah. Um, another one I thought, use an alter ego for social media. This is really like, this is really a good one. You know, it's a really high, highbrow one, guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to change my name to Shmana Shmarrel. Oh, Shmana Shmarrel. Shmana Shmarrel. Oh, I see. And you can't no dox that. No one will know <laughs> who I am. But then it's linked to loads of stuff and then you put your card details in. You have to put your name. Whatever. No, yeah. There's no way out. Um... Also, uh, post holiday pictures on Instagram and don't say it's Throwback Thursday. Oh, yeah. Oh, just like yeah. it's happening right now. I want to be like, she's in Mauritius again? Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I can't always think... spy on her because I don't have the money for a flight to Mauritius. Yeah. I always think celebrities must do that because you obviously don't want people mobbing you like where you actually yeah. are at that time. Um, next tip I thought for evading spies would be find a lookalike and arrange for them to follow you around while you browse at Topshop. Correct. Oh, yeah, yeah, good. Mm, Maybe like good. Phoebe's twin in uh, Yeah. I am sort of obsessed with the idea of doppelgangers in general. Yeah. I, ju- I just think that everybody probably has one. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then also you could swap clothes while you're in the changing room and then come out in the other person's clothes yeah. and be like, da-da-da. <gasps> you could They'll never know. Before you murder them. Yeah. Yes. Which is the only thing you can do with a doppelganger, as we know. Oh, you have to um, become a woman over 50. Oh, yes. That's invisible. a great way to be invisible. invisible oh, women. yes, of course. I have heard of this. The invisibility cloak of a Marks and Spencer's Mac. Yes. Um, and then also, I thought, don't hang around on park benches because that is where spies like to hang out. We they all do. Yeah. know that. Yeah. So don't hang around on South Bank. They're always there. They're always there. Also, don't hang around any trench coat, fedora hat, or sunglasses shops because yeah. that's where they get their stuff. Yeah, yeah. they're always there. <laughs> they're always shopping. Yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, definitely double, triple lock your doors because that scene where Judy Dench comes home and Daniel Craig's just in her living room. I mean, come on, Judy, you're, you're M. You're yeah. M, mate. Lock your bloody doors. Well, don't give Daniel Craig your spare set of keys. No, he's not reliable. He was on a beach in Thailand. You never see him flying, do you? No. You never see him just like watching a film on the plane. Yeah, you never see him getting a slightly blocked nose because the air's kind of yeah. not humid. <laughs> Imagine if Doing like... his yoga fire breath. <laughs> in through one nose, out through that nose, in through the other nostril, out through that nostril. Well, that's it for another episode of the Allscape Orfe Umday Umanway. You do that with remarkable speed, Anna. <laughs> you, Thank you are a spy. If we're not back next Tuesday, we've either been recruited to the Secret Service or quietly disposed of. Thanks to Harry Galore Harris for our jingles, Gavin Goldfinger Day for the logo, and Soho Radio Studios for the villain there, which we record in every week. Finally, thank you for listening. If you've got this far, please do go and leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. Goodbye. Bye. Ta-ra. I don't really know what GCHQ stands for, but they say that a lot in Bond as well. Take it back to GCHQ. Yeah. General... Caroline. Caroline headquarters. (laughs) Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Alan We are two of the three co-hosts of a podcast called Juvenalia. Our third co-host, Sarah Marie Griffin, is not here. Juvenalia is a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a piece of pop culture that they were obsessed with when they were a child. So if you want to hear Sarah from Tegan and Sarah talking about Madonna's future there's for. Or hear about Maria Joel Kennedy and why her favourite film is The Wizard of Oz. Or hear Caroline O'Donoghue talking about Frasier. Then subscribe to us on any podcast app you might be listening to right now. Okay, that's the ad. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.